Every industry has its greats. When it comes to greats, the apartment business is among the richest. We have the colorful and noted grave dancer, Sam Zell of Equity, Ron Twilger of Trammell Crow, who launched just about every career and company in the nation. And let's not forget one of the nation's first premier brands of its time, Archstone. In the 90s, Archstone was one of the largest owners in the nation with just over 90,000 units. In comparison, MAA out of Tennessee owns just over 100,000 today. Archstone changed hands in some of the biggest transactions of the time. Then Tishman Spire and Lehman Brothers bought the company in a $22 billion transaction, followed by one of history's largest real estate crashes and the Great Recession. Finally, Archstone was purchased in two parts by Equity and Avalon Bay in a $9 billion transaction. It's a walk through history as Archstone was chronicled on the cover and in the pages of Yield Pro Magazine, then known as Multi-Housing Pro, and of course in the wider media. And here we are with today's guest, a man who you could say was at the center of history, Neil Brown. Neil was there at Archstone all those years ago, rising to become head of development in 2010, and now founder and CEO of Archco Residential since 2013. Like other industry legends, Neil also had a history with JPI and Trammell Crow and is presently on the multifamily leadership board of NAHB. Neil, it's an honor to have you on the show. Glad to thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So much history, Neil. Looking back and with some perspective, what do you say about that time in history and what we can learn for the future? Well, it was a dynamic time in the industry. Uh, REITs had, there were very few REITs at the time. Arsenal was one of the first REITs. Um, I want to say AMCO was even before that by several years, but it was one of the first REITs. It uh, eventually became the second largest apartment REIT in the nation. It was part of the S&P 500, which uh, was a great honor for the company. And it was, as you pointed out, one of the first national names in the industry. And we were one of the first to use the name throughout the country. Uh, Post Property was first using the name regionally, mostly in Atlanta. Uh, but most people thought that a branded apartment company, a branded apartment community just wouldn't resonate with residents. But I think that we proved that it did. And like a lot of things that Archstone did, you'll see that a number of other companies have followed us. Uh, plenty of people now have a brand that they use for their apartments and they use it throughout. Avalon has their Ava product, their Eva product. I think they have another one. But what we did uh, back in the 90s uh, took a number of years, maybe decades for others to copy. And that was just one of the, one of the innovative things that we did at Archstone. Um, I was there for almost two decades, and it was it was a great time in the industry. Uh, we had our ups and downs. Obviously, the Great Recession uh, was damaging to every industry, and we suffered just like everybody else. But we came through that, and um, 
it was it was a fun time to be in the industry. Still is a fun time to be in the industry. As a developer, Archco must navigate a notoriously cyclical part of the apartment business. Have you considered getting into property management to diversify risk? Uh, we have dabbled in the thought. Um, and I think there are a couple things about that that have kept us from doing that. The, the first is development is in my DNA. Uh, I've been doing this for many decades. Uh, I have to stop and count to figure out exactly how many, but it's a long time. Uh, property management is so different from that. Uh, I'm glad there are property management companies. Some of them, many of them do a great job. But I think that as developers, we kind of have the fun part of the business. We get to imagine what something is going to be. Um, I've used the phrase before that, particularly, you know, I have nieces and nephews who sort of wonder what I do. They've never really quite figured it out. So I use the analogy. I'm like the, uh, the conductor of an orchestra. <clears throat> I don't design the buildings. Uh, I don't design the interiors. I don't design the landscaping. I don't put in the money to do this. But I'm there waving the, uh, the baton, creating things from nothing, taking a piece of land, um, having a vision, convincing people to finance the vision, hiring the architects to uh, create something, guiding them a little bit, but trying not to guide them too much, not put too heavy a thumb on what they design. And uh, at the end of that, hopefully there's something beautiful. Sometimes there's just something. We try to create things that are beautiful. Doesn't always work out, but um, I, I think the the best example for people who know is City Center DC in Washington. It was uh, the old convention center site. Uh, Artstone partnered with Heinz to uh, bid on the project. We won the RFP. And from start to finish, I want to say it was 2002 to about 2016. So 14 years in the making, a billion dollar project. And um, if you haven't been, it's a magnificent place. Something that will be a cornerstone of DC for for decades, for, for 50 years, probably longer. Uh, and that's fun to do. You, you don't get to do that if you're a property manager. Uh, you don't get to do that if you're in construction. That's the other thing we don't do much of, you know, or any of, we don't do, we're not GCs. We, uh, we've always viewed that as a sort of high risk, low margin business. So we've avoided that. Um, and we, we focus on the things that I like to focus on and my partners like to focus on, which is creating things. We've, like I said, we've dabbled with the idea of being, you know, having our own property management company. We, we just, uh, I don't think it's in my DNA to do that. Certainly not right now. I get that. In 2020, you had active projects in Florida, North Carolina, and Texas. How do you contrast your ability to operate in these states based on the local pandemic response? Um, well, I think that we were reasonably lucky in, in that our projects were in three very pro-business states. Uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I wouldn't say there was panic in all the states, but but there was there was panic in a lot of the states, and uh, I, I don't think our job, any of our jobs, ever 
really shut down. I think the one in Florida stopped for a couple of weeks. And it was a combination of local municipalities, state governments, general contractors, and what their own internal thoughts were on operating within the pandemic. But being in the three states you mentioned, we I think we were just able to uh, move along faster than some of the states. Um, housing was very early on uh, deemed an essential business. The creation, of, therefore, the creation of housing was also deemed an essential business. So we were able to keep moving, even though slowed things down. Uh, people had to figure out what procedures to put in place on the job sites, but they did, and. Uh, we were able to finish all the projects um, and you know, get them leased up. So it, it it slowed us down. It was costly for everybody, but we just happened to be in three states that were more um, aggressive in making sure people continue to have jobs and places to live. Speaking of states that are pro-business, Arch Co-Residential is headquartered in Atlanta, Yet no developments in Georgia. Why? Uh, it's, it's sort of a remnant of the Archstone days. Um, when I was at Archstone, I was in Atlanta, uh, overseeing development for the entire company so throughout the nation. And Atlanta was not a target market of ours, uh, even though we had a fairly significant people presence here. Um, our main focus was you know, sort of the big six, big seven, uh, big eight, and what. It sort of varied from time to time, but Boston, New York, D.C., South Florida, on and off again, Texas, on and off again, Southern Cal, more than Cal, and the Pacific Northwest. But we skipped over, you know, the Charlottes, the Raleigh's, the Atlantas. Um, and in order to be a good developer in a market, you have to have local knowledge. Um, and... I, I don't have a partner here. I think if, if somebody came along and said, hey, you know, I'd like to work with you guys and develop in Atlanta, I think we'd be happy to do that. But I have partners who have more familiarity with the Texas markets, the South Florida markets, the Carolina markets, and uh, the California markets. So we have uh, just not had a good reason, a good enough reason to uh, develop in Atlanta. I, I think it's a great market for those who want to do it. We just, you know, there, there, there are a lot of markets that we'd like to develop in, but we can't, we can't be everything. Pre-pandemic, you built high-end, low-rise outside central business districts or in the suburban ring. Sounds like a good post-pandemic strategy as well. Has the, pande- has the pandemic caused any changes to your strategy? Um, I think that's to be determined. Uh, I, I would... I would say our strategy is more opportunistic than geographically focused or even product focused. Um, in my time at Archstone, and uh, most of the people that I work with, nearly all of them worked at Archstone as well, we have experience with everything from three story walk up garden communities to 40 story high rises and everything in between. So we're comfortable with all product types. And the development fundamentally comes down to one thing, and that is land control. Whoever can get land under contract, whoever can control the land, is will be the developer. Um, 
so if if I'm trying to compete with some of the larger players in you know a Fort Lauderdale market, their ability to control land is greater than mine. They're bigger, they've been around longer. So we try to be nimble, opportunistic, go places where they don't want to go. There are plenty of opportunities in secondary markets and tertiary markets. Um, and they don't want to they don't want to really be in those markets. So whenever we find a piece of land that we think would be a good apartment community, uh, if it's in a market that we can get to fairly easily and have at least some familiarity with, uh, we'll evaluate it and see if we can make it work. Uh, so it's, I would say our pre-pandemic strategy doesn't differ much from our post-pandemic strategy with one small exception, and that is, like every else, everybody else in the world, we're looking at uh, build-to-rent uh, and uh, single-family rentals. Whether we get into that in a small way, a big way, or not at all is still uh, to be seen, but it's clearly an area that we are, that everybody's exploring. We're not the only ones. I mean, every, every developer that I've talked to is getting into that business. Uh, most will not stay in the business. We'll see if we, we'll, I, I don't know where we'll end up, but that's part of our strategy. But other than that, the strategy hasn't changed much. Well, that's a look under the hood. That's fascinating. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> My secret. Oh, thank you. Archco has primarily used wood frame construction. How has the spike in lumber prices impacted the economics of this? And are you thinking about steel framing? Uh, well, first, in, in terms of the spike, it's killing us. It's killing everybody. Uh, it is... Um, making people reevaluate jobs or reevaluate the uh, the yields that they need to build to. Uh, we all hope that this is a temporary spike. Uh, it's not the first time in my career that things, exogenous factors have uh, made it difficult to build apartments. Uh, you know, one of the things that, one of the sayings that I rely on is this too shall pass. And that's, true whether the times have gotten too good, this too shall pass, or times have gotten bad. Uh, you know, sort of pre-Great Recession, the world was on fire. It was easy to forget that this too shall pass until 2007, 2008, when it suddenly cratered. And that was a good reminder to, to me and to everybody else that good times don't last, bad times don't last. So the most important thing in all of those times is to make your way through those times for the the other you know for the upside of the cycle. So we haven't really looked at steel framing yet. Um, I, I think part of it is we're still just struggling with well, can we do these in wood frame or not? And if not, well, maybe we just wait uh, wait six months, wait a year, uh, wait until things have regressed to the mean, so to speak. One of the things that I think we've lost is the generational wisdom and things that you talk about culture. And I think today that has such a different meaning. <laughs> no, you're right. It does. And um, it is an unfortunate fact that every generation loses generational wisdom. Um, you know, one of the things I try to do is, 
you know, things like this where I, I can have the opportunity to speak to the younger folks in the industry and give them the benefit of nearly 40 years of experience. Um, and, you know, sometimes people listen, sometimes they don't. Um, you know, I, I was taking a tour with uh, somebody the other day, 35 years old, been in the industry. I mean, I've been in the industry longer, longer than he was alive. Um, and it was some of the questions that he asked were humorous to me. Uh, one of which was, oh, so what was this Archstone thing that you mentioned earlier? It was the biggest story in 2006 and two, or 2007 and 2008, uh, but you would not have been noticing because you were too young. But there is a lot of, uh, as, as I said to he and his crowd the other day, you know, my company is filled with uh, people who've been in the business a long time. Our, the average age or the average uh, length of time in the industry for our senior leadership is 37 years. We've seen a lot. We've uh, we've made a lot of mistakes. We haven't made every mistake in the book, but we, we we try hard to make every mistake in the book. But we also try hard not to repeat those mistakes. Um, and one of the things that I would uh, love to do with you in the future is uh, you know, sort of go through. Okay, what what would you tell your younger self? Um, and and my answer to that usually is, well, I wouldn't tell my younger self anything because that was thirty plus years ago, and times have changed. Uh, I think the better question is, what would you tell somebody who's getting in the industry now? Because I think that has more um, value to people than what I would have done differently 35 years ago. And I would have done things differently. Uh, but the things I would advise people today, uh, I think are different than what people would think. And uh, I'd be happy to have a discussion with you about that in the future. Fantastic. I look forward to it. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us today, Neil. What a legend. Our nation's greatest entrepreneurs are found in apartments, I say, those who see potential and begin building. It's an enterprise that is not only financially beneficial to the skilled developer, but also fills one of our greatest needs of our country, housing. Neil, thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and look forward to the next exciting episode of NEHB Power Hitters.